This evening we're going to be considering the everlasting kingdom. We're looking at Psalm 45. We'll be looking specifically at the first eight verses. So this evening, as we continue, because it's a series, we've been looking at Psalms over a number of weeks now. What I wanted to bring to you this evening, what I really wanted to preach on, that to be quite honest, that's what came first. What did I want to preach on? And, and following that, what, what am I going to bring to you? And the answer is a psalm that is about Jesus from start to finish. And uh, we have it in Psalm 45 here. Just look at the very first two verses of Psalm 45. My heart is inditing a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God have blessed thee forever. I don't know how many years, but this was written hundreds of years, no doubt, before the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, before the Son of God was manifest in the flesh. But even so, as you will see, I trust, this psalm is about Jesus. Take those first two verses there. That is no ordinary king that is being spoken of. Not even Solomon in all his royal splendour, would be spoken of in this way. Let me just read what Spurgeon said. He said, some here see Solomon. They are short-sighted. Others see both Solomon and Christ. They are cross-eyed. Well-focused spiritual eyes see Jesus only. Well, we'll see if Mr Spurgeon is right. Let's focus our eyes on King Jesus. Verse 1 again. My heart is indicting a good matter. That can be understood as meaning my heart boils up a good matter. Also the psalmist said that the words that he spoke were made by him. The meditations of the psalmist's heart are described as a good matter because they were centred on Not just any old king, but none other than the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. With such lofty and majestic thoughts bubbling up in his heart, it's little wonder that what came out of his mouth were things that were made by him. He was not simply giving voice to idle thoughts. What flowed from his heart were well-crafted meditations, A sweet aroma, no less. As the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Clearly, thoughts of Jesus came from the heart of the psalmist and were spoken by him. These wonderful meditations that were bubbling up inside his heart, well-crafted thoughts proceeded from his heart, and and out of his mouth. When the psalmist said that his tongue is the pen of a ready writer, 
That had nothing to do with the speed of his speech or of him being an accomplished writer. Of course, he was an accomplished writer. He was, his works are, are, are recorded for us in the Bible. Rather, he was moved to do so. What he wrote, he was moved to do so by God, the Holy Spirit. And he spoke as one who wrote for the generations to come on the subject of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, look at verse 2 again. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God have blessed thee forever. It's as if Jesus has suddenly appeared before the psalmist. And the psalmist is now speaking directly to King Jesus when he says, Thou art fairer than the children of men. But isn't that how it is, dear Christian, when prayer proceeds from a heart that is filled with thoughts, with meditations of Jesus, that Jesus draws near to his people in a very special way. That must surely be the experience of all of you who know Jesus as the God of your salvation and as your King whether your prayers proceed from a heart that is bubbling up a good thing in the privacy of your home or when perhaps you're at the communion service here with other brothers and sisters in Christ and you have that sweet communion with the Lord Jesus Christ as if he were here. And indeed I would argue that he is here. That we have a, a that that extra special measure of his presence at such times when our thoughts are centred on Jesus. By saying thou art fairer than the children of men, the psalmist was saying that Jesus is without equal in beauty. There are those who can be said to have a certain beauty of character, but it is it must be remembered that the beauty that they have is by the grace of God and it is not a sinless beauty. Even the greatest amongst the Lord's people are still sinners, but they are sinners who are draped in the Lord Jesus Christ. He who is flawless, indeed he is altogether lovely. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ beautiful in his person, but also he is beautiful in his speech. The psalmist said that grace is poured into his lips. Indeed, his lips are like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. As one might expect when one considers that Jesus is the Word of God, who, having made all things, upholds all things by the Word of his power. Last of all, in verse 2, the psalmist said, Therefore God have blessed thee for ever, which has reference to God the Father blessing the Lord Jesus Christ and exalting him upon the successful completion of the work that he sent him into the world to do as mediator of a new covenant. As it is written in Philippians chapter 2, 
verse 8 through to 11 in the New Testament concerning Jesus. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That speaks of the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ after he humbled himself, became, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's move on and look at verse 3. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. So, in this verse, the king is referred to as mighty. And Jesus is the mighty God, as seen in his creative handiwork. For it is he who laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of his hands. That's in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1 and verse 3. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principal—sorry, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. And concerning salvation from sin. The mighty God has redeemed all whom his father has given him and he has, he has done so with his own precious blood. That's 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. Jesus continually cares for all he's redeemed every moment of every day. He said, lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20 that is. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. What that's saying is that Jesus, having you dear Christian, Jesus having redeemed you with his own precious blood, he is now highly exalted, seated at the right hand of the throne of his heavenly father, where he ever lives and he intercedes for you continually. He prays for you. I don't know exactly what Jesus prays, but one thing I do know, he would pray, he does pray, that you, Christian, will be kept from evil. That is a most necessary prayer, because we all live in an evil world, and we live in evil flesh. 
sinful flesh. So having saved us, Jesus doesn't just leave us to get on with it. Continually, he intercedes for us, watches over us, cares for us, surrounds us with his love. He gives unto them everlasting life. They shall never perish. That's John chapter 10, verse 28. We see in verse 3 in, in the Psalm 45 that the mighty God is called upon to gird his sword upon his thigh. I don't know if that makes you think of anything else in the Old Testament. It certainly reminds me of something that happened at a time when the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal by Jericho after after all those long years, 40 long years in the wilderness, having been delivered from captivity in Egypt. They were in the wilderness for 40 long years and finally they were going to receive the land promised to them by God, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they were camped by Jericho, which would be, I think, the first of their conquests. And that was about 1,400 years before the mighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, became flesh. And according to the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verses 13 through to 15, Joshua, Joshua, who was the leader of the children of Israel, he was the successor to Moses. Moses was dead by this time. Anyway, Joshua lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Again, they were camped by Jericho. They were going to conquer Jericho. And suddenly he sees this man with his sword drawn, just appears with his sword drawn. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries, for our enemies? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. This is the man with his sword drawn in his hand. He's come as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. Can you imagine this? The captain of the Lord's host with his sword drawn tells Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. And Joshua did so. But then, this is the thing, two verses later, in the next chapter, in chapter 6 and verse 2, it is written, And the Lord, capital letters, so that's Jehovah God, the Lord, said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho. And in that verse, we're, we're being told that the captain of the host of the Lord is indeed Jehovah Jesus with his sword drawn in his hand. Can you see that? 
that Jesus is, was, is and always will be Jehovah Jesus, the mighty Son of God. Anyway, coming back to Psalm 45 and verse 3, the mighty God is called upon to gird his sword. That may refer to the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is sharp, it is a two-edged sword, convicting of sin and regenerating people who are dead in their sins. For you are born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible, by the word of God, which again is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Born again of the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Each one of you who has become a Christian, you saved, you were saved when the Holy Spirit quickened you, he made you alive and you became attentive to the word of God you attended to the things spoken to you instead of it going in one ear and out the other or bouncing off off you you attended to the word of God which liveth and abideth forever and it pierced you like a sharp two edged sword It is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, that the Lord Jesus Christ made great use of against Satan in the wilderness when he responded to the evil one with words such as, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So in that case, the word of God, that sword, was used to rebuke the evil one, the devil. Let's have a look at verse 4. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. The wheels of the chariot that the Lord Jesus Christ rides upon are majesty, truth, meekness and righteousness. And in this chariot Jesus uh, conquers and subdues rebellious sinners And he brings them into his everlasting kingdom. The Lord's majesty, truth, meekness and righteousness are all to be found in his gospel and the preaching of it. His majesty is set forth when the divinity of Jesus is declared. We see the majesty of Jesus when we hear and we understand We believe that he is the King of Kings. That he is Almighty God. As for truth, Jesus is the truth. Through the preaching of his gospel, sinners who live in a world of lies and whose own hearts are deceitful above all things, your own heart deceives you. Sinners are brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus who is the truth and they go on to serve him having been freed from the bondage of sin they serve him with thanksgiving in their hearts the Lord's meekness is made known when his mercy and his grace towards hell deserving sinners are proclaimed 
His obedience unto death, even the death of the cross, and his resurrection to new life are the righteousness of all who take refuge in him as repentant sinners, having believed on his name. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11 tells us that the word of God shall not be turned unto him void, but it shall accomplish that which he pleases, and it shall prosper in the thing whereinto he sent it. As such, we can be sure that the mighty God's journey in a chariot of majesty, truth, meekness and righteousness is not in vain. It is not a wasted journey and it shall accomplish its purpose. That journey shall prosper with all who are ordained to eternal life, believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and being added to his church. Let's have a look at verse 5. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. We've already seen that the Lord Jesus Christ is the mighty God, but also according to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, he is the Prince of Peace. The fact of the matter is that to know Jesus is to know peace. But if you do not know Jesus, then you do not have peace. If you are not trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of all your sins, if you're not trusting in Jesus for everlasting life, any peace that you may lay claim to, that you may claim to possess, can evaporate at any given moment. You know that as well as I do. However, the peace that all you Christians have, that deep inner peace, regardless of whatever whatever else is going on in your life, but that deep inner peace is one that will endure, it will not evaporate, and that is it that is because it is not a peace that is comes from you, it is the peace of God. A peace that the Lord Jesus Christ gives you. It is of divine origin. Having said that, we need to remember that as well as Jesus being the Prince of Peace, he is a mighty warrior. We see that in these verses. He is a mighty warrior who not only has a two-edged sword, but also he has very sharp arrows indeed. Within his quiver, there is the arrow of gospel truth, which he shoots to the ends of the earth. There is the arrow that when it hits the target of a man's heart, it reveals something of the perfect holiness of God and his sinless righteousness. There is the arrow that when it reaches deep into the heart, it exposes all manner of lust and depravity and the abject failure of that person to love God as he he ought to. Also, there's the arrow that reveals the impossibility of justifying oneself before a holy God. There's the arrow that reveals the richly deserved punishment for sin as being everlasting death in hellfire. But also, there's the arrow that reveals salvation through faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty God, who took upon himself the curse of God's law when he bare in his own body the sins of all who would ever trust in him. These arrows are far-reaching. They're just as likely to hit the target of someone who's going through some kind of crisis in life as they are someone who doesn't have a care in the world. They penetrate deep into the heart, whether someone likes it or not. And that is because people have no control whatsoever over the direction of those arrows, which are fired by God. Those arrows cannot simply be pulled out and thrown away. In fact, they kill. The target dies to sin and self, and by the grace of God, That person is born again to new life through faith in the risen Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that the person who is mortally pierced, his heart is mortally pierced with those arrows, far from being cursed by God, is blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We'll have a look at verses 6 and 7. Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, have anointed thee with the oil of gladness above his fellows. These verses are cited They're found in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 where they are applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. This takes all the guesswork out of this psalm. We know for a fact that this psalm is about Jesus. How is that? Because the Bible tells us so. It tells us in the New Testament where we see what I've just read to you from verses 6 and 7. We see it in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 being applied to Jesus. And that is the, that is a fact that it is all about King Jesus, the mighty God. Unless you make it your business to deny that Jesus is God, as do the Jehovah's Witnesses. In a few of the many mistranslated verses that they have in their New World Translation of the Bible, The Jehovah's Witnesses have God, listen carefully here, they have God is your throne forever and ever, instead of thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. As we have here in Psalm 45, verses 6, verse 6, and also in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10. I'll say it again. What they have in their mistranslation of the Bible is God is your throne forever and ever. Whereas we, and our Bibles, all the other Bibles have, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So that attempt to rob Jesus of his divinity reduces God to being a throne instead of having a throne. And that arrangement of the words, of the Greek words, is utterly nonsensical and I should imagine extremely blasphemous 
But this is the lengths they will go to to deny the divinity of Jesus. They can't get away from the fact that the verse is about Jesus, so they mess around with it and they end up with God is your throne forever and ever, which is utterly nonsensical. But as we see here, what is being said, what is being said in verse 6? Speaking of the king here, the mighty one, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die. The one who was crowned with thorns. As we come to a close, still looking at Psalm 45 and verse 7. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, have anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The oil of gladness is the joy that was set before Jesus when he was suspended between heaven and earth, nailed to a cross and crowned with thorns. He looked ahead to the joy that was set before him when he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of his father. The joy of gladness above his fellows. And Jesus is now set down at the right hand, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And your joy, dear Christian, I speak to the Christians here, your joy is the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as your peace is the peace that he gives you, the joy that you have is the joy of Jesus It is a deep inner joy that comes from knowing the King of glory as your saviour from sin. And the joy of knowing that you are are safe in his mighty hand. And in the hand of your heavenly father forever and ever. As a sinner saved by grace. Therefore, as I finish, bow down and worship King Jesus. Trusting in him as your saviour from sin and as your Lord. Amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.